Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 037. Love is. Hey, thankful that you're listening or watching to the Faith for My Generation podcast. And of course, this is a brand new week because you've got a brand new wake-up call. I'm thankful that you're tuning in and listening. Let's get to it. Wake-up call 037. Love is. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm actually going to read this entire chapter. Yeah, it's not too long at all. Um, And you've probably heard this before, or certainly portions of this chapter before. I hope, of course, that you've read it on your own when you're reading through your Bible, but you've probably heard specific portions of this verse, or excuse me, this chapter for sure, at like weddings. Um, And you see it, you know, some of these verses when we get to it, you know, you're going to think about, oh yeah, I've seen those on cards. (laughs) I've seen uh, those in studies and different things. But I want us to look at what true... God kind of love is. You know, we hear the word love probably a hundred times a day in our society and in our culture. Uh, Maybe we even use the word love very flippantly, man, you know. Um, and, And in fact, you know, the English language really isn't as descriptive as some languages are, of course, right? Um, especially with a word like this, I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love the Lord. I love pizza, and I love, I don't know, crisp fall mornings. (laughs) Those are all different examples of different kinds of love, really. And when you get into a language like the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, Greek and Aramaic, you get in much more descriptive terminology and, and much more descriptive words. And why do I bring that up? Because the love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape love. A-G-A-P-E. That's a Greek word, agape. And it's the God kind of love. And as Christians, that's the type of love we need to be interested in. The God kind of love. We want to love like God loves. Because after all, He has made us alive unto Him. His Spirit lives in us. And we are to imitate, Ephesians 5.1, Him, our Heavenly Father, as a child imitates their Father. Naturally. So we want to understand, what is this God kind of love? What does real love look like? Not, you know, there's other words. uh, Eros is sensual love or romantic love. Philio is brotherly love or friendship. But what we're talking about here is agape, the God kind of love. It is a benevolent love feast, literally, Uh, the rendering of that word in its truest form can mean love feast. And, you know, you think about it. uh, I know there's a children's song. I'm sure it's based on Scripture. But it says, um, um, what is it? His love over me or his banner over me is love. Uh, And then one of the verses is, he's brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. You've probably heard that. Uh, It's like a children's church song or a little... uh, Sunday school song, we've sung it before at our preschool. And so his banner over me is love. He's brought me to his banqueting table. This God kind of love is a love feast. It's a celebration of his 
spontaneous, benevolent, divine love. And we want to see exactly what is that love? What's its characteristics? Let's define it so that we can, once we defined this God kind of love, we can then see, hey, is that in me? Or is there something completely opposite in me? Because after all this letter, 1 Corinthians was written to a church in Corinth dealing with certain, certain sins and grievances that they had, that the Lord had with them. And so what we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is actually, hey, these, this is what's taking place in your church among these people, but this is the direct opposite kind of behavior of someone who is filled with the love of God. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed to the poor, and through and excuse me, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Verse four. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, it's not arrogant. It does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it thinks no evil, or it keeps no account of an evil record. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. And where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then at this point of completion, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This particular chapter, just to give you a context, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is is couched. It's in between of course, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you're thinking, well, absolutely, AJ, duh, I know how to count 12, 13, and 14. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a teaching on the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these spiritual gifts. First off, we see that there is one God, the Holy Spirit, and He gives gifts as He wills, and He gives gifts Um, to the body of Christ. And these gifts that he gives are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. That's the revelation gifts, gifts that pertain to the mind. Then there is the speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. That's the vocal gifts. And then there is the, the power gifts, the gifts of healings. That's the only one that's plural. The gift of faith and the gift of miracles. And those gifts are they operate in the body of Christ in unity and in the 
presence and in the spirit of God. And then it goes on to talk about unity in the body and how though the body of Christ is made up of many members, we all work together. Though we're different, though we have different callings, though we have different personalities, though we have different uh, uh, beginning places, though we have different backgrounds, we all come together and we have different calls but we've all been called into one body. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 14 continues talking about tongues and prophecy and comparing the two. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is smack dab in the middle of those two chapters talking about spiritual gifts. Now, you might think, well, why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us because regardless of, even if we were like the Christians in the Corinthian church, who are prophesying and speaking in tongues and moving in the power of the Spirit, if you're not doing it with a heart filled with the God kind of love, it's useless. God is very... um, How should I say this? God cares about what you do. There's no way around it. We see that all through the Bible. God says that he will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap life everlasting. That's Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Uh, God takes an account of everything that we do. If we die in sin, which you and I won't, we're the faithful, we're not going to do that. But if someone dies in sin, they will give an account for the sins they've done. You and I that are Christians... We will give an account before Jesus as the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, which is reserved for sinners, but we will give an account for what we've done with this life we've been given from God. So God cares about what we do. He keeps a record of what we do. He keeps a record of what we say. Malachi 3 tells us that there's a book of remembrance that God has of the saints, of what we do, what we say. Now, It's important what we do, but even more so, it's important the motive behind what we do. Let me make this point a little bit more clear. First first Samuel, I believe it's chapter 15. First first Samuel chapter 15. Let's see, is it verse 12? Let's see here. First, First Samuel chapter 15. Yeah. So we have King Saul. King Saul is commanded by God to go take out the Amalekites and this King Agag. And Samuel, the prophet of God, tells King Saul, he says, the Lord wants you to go destroy this, this, these people who have sinned against God and have attacked the nation of Israel. You go and you take them out, every one of them, and all their livestock. Leave no thing living. It was a judgment of God. Well, Saul does that to a degree, He doesn't kill King Agag. He wants to take back this Malachite king and make him a slave in his court as a a point of honor and glory for himself. At least he thinks being he's taken this defeated king and he's now going to live in his palace, but only to be a slave to him. And then he kept all the best livestock. So when Samuel, this man, the man of God, comes to Saul, Saul replies in 1 Samuel 15, 13, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what you've asked me to do. Verse 14, But Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the ox which I hear? Verse 15, Paul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord our God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed, till they're completely completely destroyed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you, not, why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things which have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord our God in Gilgag. So Samuel said, 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord Lord as great delight in burnt Offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or listen and obey than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. Man, that's powerful. Those two verses specifically, I just saw that. That, I, that statement there with stubbornness. I mean, verse 22, I've often quoted, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, which means to listen and hear, you know, hear and take action, than the fat of rams. But notice that, verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Wow. God's saying here, I, would, I care so much more about a heart filled with obedience than I do you bringing me the spoil of this battle to sacrifice. And this is in the old covenant when sacrifice was necessary. And in doing sacrifice, you were being obedient to the Lord. But in this case, God said, don't leave anything living, including the livestock. But Saul gets this somewhat he thinks holy idea i know i'll keep the best for the lord that's not what god asked and and you think wow i didn't see this coming talking about love but first corinthians chapter 13 basically is telling this telling us this everything that we do for the lord should be done in love because if we do anything it doesn't matter how good it looks how great it sounds maybe it looks impressive to other folk Maybe it comes off great and wonderful to other folk, to other people. But the reality is, if it's not done with love, if it's not done with obedience, then God could care less about it. Now, you might think, well, now, wait a minute, AJ, you said obedience, but we're talking about love. Okay. Well, what did Jesus say concerning love? John 14, 21. John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. 
and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, reveal myself to him. So you, you want to prove your love to God? You want to show Jesus that you love him? Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Be like Christ and obey God. Be like Christ when he walked on the earth and obeyed the words of the Father. And you'll show that you carry this God kind of love. Now, a couple things I want to leave you with before we, before we finish up this wake-up call. There's nine ingredients of this divine God kind of love. And we see it in verses 4 through 7, which is probably the most commonly read. So what are these nine ingredients? And as we're, as we're listing off these ingredients, I'm going to do it. You do it as well. Ask yourself, okay, is that evident in my life? Or do I need to allow the Lord to work on me <laughs> to get some, of, some more of this ingredient in my life so that I can have pure divine love flowing in me, flowing through me and what I think and what I say and what I do? You know, it's like a recipe. You've got to get the ingredients right because you might have all the ingredients in the recipe, but if you don't have the right amounts of the ingredients, you can totally wreck, uh, you know, a great recipe if you have too much or too little of something. Well, what do we want? We want a whole lot of all these things in our life. Verse 4, love suffers long. First thing, love is patient. If you have the God kind of love, you're going to be patient. We see this in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says that God is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but that He is long-suffering because He wishes, He desires no one to perish, but that all would be saved. So why is God not shut down everything on the earth and Christ come back and we just went into the end, end time of end times and, and all this being wrapped up? He's giving time for people to be saved. Because he's patient. Aren't you thankful that God was patient with you? I'm thankful that God's patient with me. And the first ingredient is that the God kind of love is patient. It suffers long. This has to do with enduring being provoked. This is not just like, all right, I'm going to wait for you. It's like I'm willing to wait and be patient even though you, you're, you're working against yourself. You're working against me at the moment. But I'm going to work with you and get you where you need to be. That's what God's doing with us. Second thing is love is kind. Kindness. What does it mean to be kind? Um, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you want to really be kind, treat people the way you want to be treated. And you'll display this God kind of love. Third thing. The God kind of love is generous. Now notice, some of these, it says love is, but then also in some of these descriptions that we see by the Spirit through Paul, love is not. So for instance, love is kind, but then it says love does not envy. Well, that means the opposite then, right? If love does not envy, then love is generous. Because envy is, mm, why do they have that? I should have that. They don't deserve it like I do. If you're really loving and you have the God kind of love, you will be thrilled when people succeed. 
If you hear someone and they succeed, they're winning in life, they're doing, the, you know, they're just knocking out goals, they're, they're just getting after it naturally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, they're just progressing and succeeding. If your thoughts aren't, wow, that's awesome, <laughs> get after it, way to go, go you. If it's something other than that, hmm, they, uh, I don't know why that's happening to them, blah, 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 blah. that's envious. Don't, don't be that. Let the love of God be in you to where you can celebrate other people and their wins and their success. God does that for you, and we should do it for one another. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love is humble. Well, we understand this. James chapter 4 tells us, 1 Peter 5 tells us, that the prideful, they are brought low by the hand of God. But when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us. And so by default, if we're going to have the love of God in us, we're going to be humble. We're not going to parade ourselves around. We're not going to be arrogant. We're not going to think more of ourselves than we should. Humble, Being humble, though, doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. It just makes us realize that we're equal to everyone else. We're on an equal playing field in the eyes of God. We're on level ground at the cross. And I'm not better, I'm not worse, but I'm not better than you. And I'm certainly not, not going to put myself above other people. I'm going to humble myself to be a servant like Christ. Love is courteous. Verse 5, love does not behave rudely. So the opposite of that is love is courteous. What does it mean to be courteous? It means to be kind and considerate toward other people. Being courteous is being considerate. It's thinking about other people. Do you think about other people? I need to think about other people. When I make decisions, I need to think about the people around me. Who, how will this affect people? You know, it's less about thinking, being fearful of what people will think and more about, will this honor and bless and help the people around me or that are involved in this situation? Even if maybe they don't, quote unquote, like it, I'm going to do what's right for their benefit and mine because I'm courteous. Verse 5, love does not seek its own, so love is unselfish. If you have the God kind of love, you're not going to be selfish. You're going to be giving. And giving can mean so much more than just a gift or, you know, a card with money in it. Time, your prayer life, energy, being helpful, being kind, showing up, blessing other people. In many ways, but we know this, love is not selfish. Love is unselfish. Love freely gives, even if there is no payment or return or payback. Verse 5, love does not, excuse me, love is not provoked. So love is good-tempered. It has self-control. You're not going to, if you have the God kind of love in your life, you're not going to be provoked. You're not going to be easily set off. Well, I've got a short fuse, and, and they should know not to say that to me. That's not loving. That's the opposite of love. That's being hateful. <laughs> just If we're just playing with it. If I'm going to be loving, then I don't have a short fuse. My fuse is very long because I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to have a good temper. I'm going to have good temperament. Verse 6 Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This has been like a theme verse for the past couple months for me. Love 
is righteous. Think about that. Love is righteous because it refuses to rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. The God kind of love is only going to set itself to do what is right and holy before God. So if I'm doing something that's unrighteous, unholy, it is not loving. I'm not being loving. I'm being the opposite of that. And lastly, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is, the God kind of love is sincere. The God kind of love is all in, 110%. Bearing, that's help, being helpful with one another. Uh, locking arms with someone, enduring with someone, believes all things. It believes the best. The God kind of love is going to believe the best of people. It's going to assume the best of others. It's not going to assume the worst. That's that's human default, right? To assume the worst. The God kind of love is going to assume the best. It's going to be hopeful in every situation. And it's going to endure. It's going to be long-lasting. It's not going to be for a, for a short time, for a few days. It's not just going to be a turnover leaf or a, a January brand new start, New Year's resolution. It's going to be a way of life. I think we can all agree that we want every, every one of these ingredients of the divine love of God in our lives flowing in excess. Let that be our prayer. Let's, let's make that our prayer. Lord, let your love fill us to overflowing, and may it never, ever run out or run dry in us. In Jesus' name, let's be loving. Let's love people around us with the God kind of love and shake up some people and awaken them to the love of God. Hey, I'm so thankful that you listened. Hey, I'm and I'm also very thankful anytime you ever share the broadcast and all the ways that you do. Uh, hey, and I appreciate it when you reach out to me, send me messages of encouragement, ask questions. I enjoy it. I'm really thankful for it. And if you're listening on the podcast channel, uh, especially I, I know Apple for sure. I'm sure the other one, platforms have it as well. But if you're listening in podcast version, leave me a five star review. We've gotten uh, we've gotten several over on the Apple channel, and that helps me kind of move up in the rankings. And it's not just for the sake of moving up in the rankings. I just want to be able to reach as many people as possible for Jesus. And we're reaching people all the time. We're seeing people come to the Lord all the time in our streams. We're seeing people um, people who are sinners being saved. We're seeing people who are uh, Christians who have grown cold, getting back hot again. And we're seeing people just be made strong in the Lord. And that's our desire. That's what we want to do is just build up the body of Christ. And we do that through winning the lost and those that are one, making them into strong disciples. So thank you for helping me do that. Every time you share, every time you leave a review, every time you comment, every time you join in, you're helping me do that. You really are, and I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. And remember, we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.